I um, also welcome you all. It's lovely uh, to see um, so many of you here this morning. Um, I hope you've had a blessed week. Um, and also just want to encourage us at the, at the end of our time, you do not have to rush off. I'll say that now. We always forget to say that. You do not have to rush off. Feel free to hang around. There'll be, I think there's some more coffee and, some, um, and biscuits and so forth. So do hang around and chat with one another. Carry on in that time of prayer. If you need prayer, grab someone and have them pray with you. Don't leave um, if you're in need of prayer or anything like that. We'd love to pray with you. Well, you've probably heard the Christian life referred to as a journey. And it's a long journey. And we experience different seasons, don't we, along our Christian, in our Christian life. Some good, some bad. It's hard. But there's also much joy, isn't there? And this Christmas season was filled with many different people taking their own journey, having their own journey. That, and it mirrors kind of like our metaphorical Christian life journey as well. And although they were traveling to Bethlehem, we've maybe kind of handed over Bethlehem and and are searching for new cities, different destinations. But I think we can learn so many lessons from the people at that time that were making their own journey to Bethlehem. Today, we're going to be looking at Mary and Joseph in particular and their journey. Next week, we'll be looking at the wise men, the week after, the shepherds. And they all lead us back to the same place, to Jesus, where they lead us to. That's where I want to lead us to is to Jesus, his birth at Christmas time, and that's what we celebrate. And so we're going to take three weeks to take a closer look at these kind of unique spiritual journeys, spiritual paths that these guys take as they meet with Jesus. And I really want us to take time. I want us to take time to consider their challenges. And I want us to ponder for ourselves the different questions about our own spiritual journey learning about how how God wants to redeem doubt and fear. That's what we're going to focus on today. God is doing something in our doubt and in our fear. Next week, we'll see that he honors our study and our submission to him through his word. And in the final week, we see that he reveals himself through miraculous signs of grace that he gifts us, gifts each and every single one of us, that uh, that he gifts along the way on our journey. So my hope, my prayer for us as a community that loves Jesus is that we're not ashamed by maybe mistakes we've made on our journey in our Christian life. Maybe there's many mistakes that we've racked up and maybe we're, we're kind of riddled with guilt for them, but I don't want us to be ashamed. I want us to, to look forward to the future as we look forward to the birth of Jesus Christ with great expectation and excitement. I want us to be enthused about how God leads us back in all situations to his son, Jesus Christ, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've said, no matter what you've thought. So hopefully over these next few weeks, we're going to create a little bit of space at the end of our time. Maybe we'll have five or ten minutes, hopefully, just to, to have some deep and honest conversations that lead us to deeper relationship with one another, but also with our maker. I want us to have time to... To, to kind of, over these next few weeks, just to delve into his word and get an appetite for studying it and love studying his word. Well, Christmas is about new life, isn't it? The birth of Jesus Christ. Amen? Good. We are, you are here. That's great. But also, so if I reflect over the last 12 months, we look around the room, we have, Oikos has grown by 30% in the last 12 months, which is incredible. New life. 
new individuals that have joined this, our midst here. And my prayer for us is that I want us to step ever more, year on year, greater into a deeper faith, a deeper trust, a deeper expectation of what God can do in us and through us. And I'm excited by that, all through the rejuvenating work of Jesus Christ. So I want us to look to 2024. I don't know about you. Are you excited about the new year? I love, I love the new year. I love September because it's like a school year. I always work on school years. But I love January, a new year, to think about the last year. Some of it was a bit of a write-off. But this year, I am going to beat 20 minutes for a 5K run after. I've, just to let you know, I failed at that. that was my, I know last year I said that's what I was going to do, but I failed miserably. But there's another year, another opportunity for us to, to delve deeper into Jesus Christ, and to be excited about him and I want to get excited this Christmas about his arrival. It is so exciting that Jesus came as a baby. The Son of God came as a baby. And it's worth celebrating. Well, <clears throat> I think I might need some water, Nick. Is that okay? Sorry. Thank you. I was going to ask, has anything ever happened to you? It's a bit of a rhetorical question, but you might have time to talk about this at the end. But has anything ever happened to you that... You couldn't even write it. You heard that saying before? Like, you couldn't even write it. When something happens, you're like, oh, my word. That is so out there. It's stranger than fiction. You couldn't even write it. Well, I have a little one that happened this last week. That um, A few weeks ago, I made a few people aware in the church that there was a family that was in need at the local school. The school had been in touch with us to see if we could help out in some way. And the church quickly jumped onto that need. I wanted to meet it, and so we had, a, we had some interaction with the school, and the pastoral lead sent us, a, um, uh, sent us a picture of the inside of the house um, to say they needed a table and all this sort of stuff. And I was looking at the picture. I was like, I recognize that. I recognize this place. And out of the 10,000 homes there are in Erdington, it happened to be the house that I bought 17 years ago and lived in for 10 years. And I'm going to be going there this afternoon to drop some more stuff off. And so... We believe that God has got, is in control of all these things, isn't he? These are God incidences. These are things that, that happen for a reason. And the Bible reading today that Nick is going to come back and read for us in a minute, two passages where we, we see something stranger than fiction, something that, I was going to say, you couldn't even write, but it has been written because it's in the Bible, um, but something that is so out there, but it's only God that could do that. And so we're going to turn to um, Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 1. If you can have both those um, with you. Over and it's Annie and then Shane. So that would be, be wonderful. Um, uh, Matthew um, chapter 1 verses 18 to 25. And then Luke chapter 1 verses 26 to 38. So. Yeah, are you happy with us here? Matthew 1, verses 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. <coughs> because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, 
he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. And Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26, says this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word, be, word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Guys, thank you for reading that. Well, we see a young betrothed couple, don't we, that are receiving this outlandish message. Could you remember? Could you imagine receiving that news? Just, just pause for a minute and think. How would you react? You'd, you'd probably be shocked, and I think we sense a little bit of maybe, or as Mary was, this word. She was greatly troubled. I would be greatly troubled. I don't know about you. Is this real? Yeah. Exactly. And this, this word greatly troubled in the Greek, and my Greek, I'm not going to pretend to be a Greek scholar, but diatarasso, I think that's right, um, it means to agitate greatly. She was greatly agitated by this news. And it just shows how much that she was affected. This is the only time that word is used in the whole of the Bible. It's a unique experience. A unique experience. And she says in verse 34, how will this be? I think that's my first response. How the heck is that going to happen? How is that going to happen? That as unlikely as it seems, 
God was going to have to work to make all these things happen, wasn't he? He had to have his hand in every single part of this. So today, as we think about our own journey and the many ups and downs that we face in our Christian life, doubt and fear can come, can't it? I think Joseph, I think Mary, there would have been some doubt and there would have been some fear. My prayer, and what we're going to focus on today, is looking at doubt and fear, because I think this season, more than any season, I think it's the time where doubt and fear can set in. My prayer is that we are going to be a community that has a healthy understanding, a biblical understanding of where doubt and fear comes from, and that we redeem it, just as I think God is redeeming doubt and fear for us. So what is doubt and what is fear? I'm sorry if you're sat on that side. I'm not sure how with the angle works, but we'll see. What is doubt? Well, doubt is a feeling of uncertainty or a lack of conviction. A lack of conviction. Now, for example, Nikki may be thinking to herself on a Wednesday during Mum's Meet, is Dan going to remember to pick Agnes up? She, she might doubt that because I have previous. So um, there's a lack of certainty in her mind. She's thinking, oh, my word. is Dan going to turn up and pick her up? Does she know, is it true? And how can she be sure it's going to happen? And then we have fear, which is an unpleasant emotion that is caused by the threat of danger, pain, or harm. And sometimes fear is good. If you're being chased by a bear, fear is good, because what's it make you do? It makes you run in the other direction, doesn't it? But fear, the heart of fear, is a lack of certainty of the future and a lack of control. Fear's the emotion that comes from doubt. So for Nikki, she may doubt that I'm going to pick Agnes up, and in the fear, the emotion is, what happens if Agnes has to make her own way home from nursery and she gets chased by some squirrels or something like that on the way back? You get my point. But you see, the root of doubt, the root of fear, I think we find all the way back in the fall, don't we? When sin entered the world, doubt and fear came in. In fact, doubt, it was doubt in Adam and Eve's heart about whether God was good. Why doesn't God want you to um, eat from the tree of life? Why does he want you to know the difference between good and evil? That's where doubt came in. And I think now we live in the light of that doubt, don't we? We doubt God's goodness at times. We doubt that God is able to keep, will keep his promises. We doubt his goodness. And with that comes fear. But James 1, and I love this. I was reading this this week with um, the guys from DNA. And James 1 verse 6 says, But when you ask, you must believe and do not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. You see, doubt for Christians is wavering in two minds and lacking confidence and assurance and complete trust in God. We lack confidence and assurance and complete trust in God. We, unbelief. We endure unbelief, don't we? And I think that we can probably sympathize with Mary and Joseph on their journey. Where their doubt, they may have had doubts, they may have had fears. How is this going to play out? Is God really going to be able to meet us and do all these things that he said is going to happen, these outlandish things? They were not in their control. I'm sure Mary and Joseph were thinking, do you know what? We're going to, um, we're going to get married. We're going to have two years before we try and start having a family. Joseph's thinking about doing a franchising business for his carpentry business and taking it across the north of Israel. But that didn't happen, did it? Can you imagine trying to get to the thought of traveling to Bethlehem? 90 miles. 
I did a Google map search, an hour and 56 minutes by car, four days if you're traveling two and a half miles an hour with an eight and a half minute pregnant lady on top of you on a donkey. That's a long journey to take, a lot of trust in God. I'm sure there would have been bits of doubt. But God is in control. Although their plans were thrown up in the air, God was in control. So can I ask, what are your doubts and fears? And maybe just I want you to spend one minute now, you don't have to talk around tables, but maybe in your own mind, just think about what are your doubts and your fears? What are some of the doubts that you have? And what are some of the fears, that come, the emotion of fear that comes out from that? often doubts and fears like everybody else's I think back of some of mine am I am I going to get married am I going to have enough money to live am I going to have a house am I going to have the job that I enjoy doing am I going to be loved and accepted by people The difference is, as Christians, we get to trust and hold that God is in control and he has promised good to us, doesn't he? But often, we think those things, a job, a spouse, a house, a purpose, well, uh, being loved, are what God promises us. But he doesn't promise us those things. He doesn't promise us those things. He doesn't promise us an easy life. But what he does promise is that he's working all things to our good. He doesn't want us to doubt him in that. Well, what is his goal? What is God's goal for us? That he wants us to make us more like his son, Jesus Christ. That's his goal. That's his aim. That's his desire. And how does he do that? He does that through the blessings that he grants us, but also through the trials that we go through. When we face doubt and fear, God is at work using that doubt and fear to help us learn something more about him. Just look at Jesus in the Bible where he talks about, oh, you have little faith quite regularly, doesn't he? He accuses his disciples of having little faith. And he tells them, oh, you have little faith. Do not worry. Look at the birds. Consider the lilies of the field. How much more does, our father, does your father God love you? How much more is he going to provide for you? The disciples in the storm, they're afraid, they're scared stiff. And what happens? Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. They struggle to believe that Jesus could bring peace in a storm. When Peter steps out of the boat into the water, he starts walking on the water. Then he starts to doubt and he starts to sink. Oh, you of little faith. Why does God take us to a place of doubting him? Because I think he's redeeming doubt and fear to use it for our good, to bring about something transformational in our life. Maybe you're sitting here today. Maybe you're doubting God. Maybe you're doubting something of him. Maybe you're doubting your faith. Is this real? Do I really believe this? Is this true? But I believe, I firmly believe that God is doing something in you right now to shape you and to conform you more to the image of his son. I really, really believe that. So I just want us to look at a few things, a few short things today. 
I've got no idea where I am on this. I can't see it. Okay. Well, don't worry. We'll see this anyway. First of all, I want us, I'd love us to look at a healthy way that we can deal with doubt and fear as it comes. A healthy way that we deal with doubt and fear. Well, firstly, I want us to be a community of Jesus followers that value honesty and not judgment. We value getting our doubts out there and sharing our doubts with one another, and we're not judged for it. I know I've seen it in the past where people have felt they've not been able to say something because they feel they're going to be judged if they say, I'm struggling with this. I'm not sure if I believe this. Can you help me with this? Often we can look around and think everybody's got it so sorted. They bet they never doubt. I bet they never have had a doubt in their whole life about Jesus. And yet, I think you'd be surprised. I think at some point in all of our Christian journeys, we have all faced doubts about what we believe. Mother Teresa, I found this so humbling when I, when I read this, that Mother Teresa, who we know as being this selfless um, nun who gave to the poor, gave her life to serving the poor, but when she died, a book was released with the letters that she'd written to some friends. Look what they... Um, look what she said... Darkness is such that I really do not see, neither with my mind nor with my reason. The place of God in my soul is blank. There is no God in me. When the pain of longing is just so great, I just long and long for God. The torture and pain I can't explain. Such deep longing for God and and, and repulse them. Empty, no faith, no love, no zeal. Saving souls holds no attraction. Heaven means nothing. Pray for me that I keep smiling at him in spite of everything. Very different picture. She didn't share it with the world, but she shared it with her close friends. Pray for me. I'm struggling in doubting this truth about God. I don't know about you, but when we have doubts, I think it's important that we share them and we're not afraid or scared of doing that. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, had his doubts, and he preached about them through from the pulpit. C.S. Lewis wrestled with them in his writings for us all to read. John Calvin, Martin Luther, all had doubts at times. And yet, what was the difference? What did they do? They shared them. They didn't hide them away and just pretend they weren't there. They brought them out into the open, into the community, and they shared them. So I want us to value honesty through doubts and not judge one another, but also I want us to be a community that believes that God works through our fears and our doubts and our questions with the purpose of strengthening us, growing our faith, and growing our intimacy with him. That he uses our fears and our doubts and our questions to strengthen our faith and to grow our intimacy with him. Now, does anyone watch Strictly Come Dancing? Anyone want to admit to that? Has anyone seen Strictly Come Dancing? Has anyone heard of Strictly Come Dancing? Okay, I don't watch it either, but I do know this much. I think like doubt and fear in our relationship with God is a bit like a dance. So you always have a professional dancer who's very good, don't you? Obviously, the professional. They know what they're doing. They're excellent. And then you have at least two celebrities in each group of 14 that are selected that are absolutely shocking. That would be me, okay? That can't dance. They've got two left feet. And when they're dancing with their partner, it looks like a fight, doesn't it? 
It looks like an absolute fight. If you ever watched, I think it was John Sargent doing it or David Seaman, it looked like a fight. It looked like someone was going to get hurt. But the professional dancer still looks to try to look graceful, smiling away and so forth. And in the first week, you notice that they never, ever do a little, let them go on their own and do their own dance because they know it's going to go wrong. So they keep them close to them, not letting them go. But over the weeks, you see some gradual improvement as they get to grow in their relationship, as they get to... Uh, trust one another more, as certainly as the celeb gets to trust the lead dancer, the dancers get better. <coughs> well, God is, uh, I hope this analogy works, all metaphors get mixed up, but God is the lead dancer. He does not let us go. He knows what he's doing. We are the bad celebrity dancer, and when the trials of life come, the doubts and the fears come, we try and lead ourselves, and it looks like we're fighting with God, doesn't it? We wrestle. But God doesn't let us go. He knows not to throw us out and just be like, go on your own, go and do it yourself, do a little dance. He doesn't. He, instead, he pulls us closer to, her, to, to him and he leads us all the more because he wants us to have greater intimacy with him. Through our doubts and through our fears, the, the thing that he knows is he wants to bring us greater intimacy with him as, as we let him lead. In the midst of our doubts and fears, as we experience in him, things become smoother we go wherever he leads. Even in the highs and the lows, we're willing to go with him wherever he may take us. You doubt my goodness? Come closer to me and I'm going to show you something of my goodness, guys. You doubt that I'm going to provide for you? Let me show you how I provided for you and how I will provide for you. You doubt what you believe is true? Just come and look at my word. Let me show you that it's real and that it's true. You see, doubt leads to strengthening and deepening of our relationship. Um, uh, an author called Sheldon Vanuken, who wrote a book called Severe Mercy, um, on the untimely, uh, after the untimely death of his wife, he said this, to believe with certainty, one has to begin by doubting. Truthfully, someone who asks questions and brings their doubts to God will likely have a stronger walk with him than someone who knows all the right answers during Bible study. True, isn't it? I think that's true. No matter how strong our faith, at some point we're going to experience doubt in our faith. But instead of it being a sign of weakness and feeling that, oh, I must be weak if, I, if I'm having doubt, not at all. God is doing something. He wants to bring you closer into an intimate relationship with him to cause us to look to him in those doubts and fears. It's interesting when Jesus said, oh, you've little faith. It's a tender rebuke he's doing not a harsh criticism it's a tender rebuke because he knows that their faith is genuine he knows they've got a genuine faith but it's small and so he rebukes them because he knows that although their faith is genuine and it's small it's not as big as it should be or as big as he wants it to be and then this gentle rebuke leads to them receiving the holy spirit to them being emboldened to go and share the good news of jesus christ with all those around them their doubts and their fears have gone because they know that he is with them. I mean, you look in the Bible, Martha, Noah, Gideon, Sarah, Miriam, David, Peter, Paul, Isaiah, the list goes on. These are all people that at some point you see they had doubts. And yet, they didn't stay there. God strengthened their faith. And maybe you're feeling so you of little faith at the moment. Maybe that's you. And I encourage you, God is doing something in that. 
a tender rebuke. Look to him. Search for him in your doubts and your fears. Well, we want to be a community that values honesty through our doubt and not judge one another. We want to be a community that believes that God works through our fears and our doubts and our questions. He's there strengthening us in our faith and growing our intimacy with him. But we also want to be people that are obedient even through our doubts. Look at, we turn to Luke chapter, it's on the screen actually. Luke chapter 2 verse 38. Mary's response is, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Joseph, when he woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Amazing. Through the doubts and the fears that they would have had, they obeyed God. I don't get what you're doing. I'm not sure how you're going to do this, but I trust that you're going to do it. And maybe you're in that place now where God's taking you somewhere. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's a new country. Who knows? Maybe it's a new place. Maybe it's a new church. And you're thinking, God, you've brought me here. It feels, I'm not, what are you doing? I can see you've got your hand in this, but I can't see the future. Can I just encourage you, be obedient. If he's called you somewhere, if he's called you to a job, if he's called you to a place, if he's called you to a church, and maybe now you're thinking, what have I done? Can I encourage you, go along for the ride, through the ups and through the downs, dance with the lead dancer, our Heavenly Father, and, and, and be obedient. What is If he's called you here, he's called you to that place, to that job, be obedient and staying there. Well, fourthly, our church community remembers what God has done in the past, and we're going to finish here. I think this is so important, and we talk about this a lot, but, but, but Mary doesn't stay greatly agitated. In fact, if you turn to Luke chapter 2, we'll put it on the screens as well, but, but do turn to Luke, Luke chapter 2. Mary's song, the most, one of some of the most beautiful verses in the Bible. Look what she says. She says, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. And look, she's looking back. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. To Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. She knows what God has done for her. She knows what God has done for others in the past, for her people. He has not given her any warrant to doubt his goodness and his ability to be able to fulfill and to meet where she's at. So I just want to finish there and give us some time to think about this. Is, is what are the memorial stones? What are the things that you can remember of the past that God has done? Maybe it's in those moments that have been stranger than fiction, those things that can only be God incidences. What are those things? What can you remember that God has done? And in those moments of doubt and moments of fear, we are to look back and remember those things. I have a spreadsheet of things that God has done that I've seen him doing. In the last five years since I moved from teaching to doing this job, I have to say it has been the most out of control, the most... Um, interesting journey that I've ever been on and it's been scary at times but it's also been incredibly humbling 
and wonderful. The amount of times that out of necessity I've had to get on my knees and pray for things when I haven't done it <laughs> until I've brought to a place of, I've got nowhere else to go, God, only you can do this. And the amount of times that he has answered those prayers miraculously. And I have to say, it has built my faith. Do I doubt? At times I do. I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes I still doubt. But I have to say, he's also incredibly been generous in building my faith, in being able to see him fit at work. And I have a log of all those things. I want to encourage you, and just for a few moments now, maybe on our own, first of all, just if you've got a pen or a piece of paper, have a think of a time that God, what has he done in the past that you can hang on to to say, I've seen him at work, I've seen you do this, and then I'm going to give you a challenge. Very un- 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 un-British thing to do. But... Um, I'm going to ask you to share that with somebody else. Share that with someone else. A story of how God has done something that only God has done, that you can remember that it was him. Maybe it's bringing you back together, uh, bringing you... um, In fact, I'm not even going to make some suggestions of what it could be. I'm going to give up there. But spend maybe a couple of minutes just thinking about it on your own, and then I'd love you, and we'll do it in a way that makes it less awkward, which is where we'll stand up, and then we can go and chat to people. And just in those conversations, if you happen to talk about this, brilliant. But if you don't talk about it, it's not too awkward. Does that make sense? Nikki's looking at me really strangely. Go on. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll still stand up and do it, but talk about what God has done. But also, maybe another thing we can just talk about or you can think about, and maybe take a picture of this if you can, is are you letting God lead the dance, or are you fighting him in your doubt? Are you letting God lead, or in your doubts are you moving away from him? Because often, when we doubt, we doubt our faith, but do we ever doubt our doubts? Do we afford our doubts the same, what am I saying? Do, do we offer our doubts the same scrutiny? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, lawyer. Uh, do we offer the same, um, our doubts the same scrutiny that we do when we're doubting our faith, our faith, if that makes sense? Doubt your doubts. Based on what I'm saying is doubt your doubts. We doubt our faith at times. Doubt your doubts. Um, what are you doing with your doubts and your questions? Okay, I'll leave it there. I'm going to pray for us. And we'll have a minute or two of quiet. And then I'm going to encourage us to go around and chat about those things that you've seen God doing, that you know were him. And then we'll finish with a song. Father God, I want to praise you and thank you um, for what we read of the, uh, the wonderful Christmas story of how you sent love down, sent your son. Thank you for the people that you sent on a journey, for Mary and Joseph and just... Um, the outlandish plan that you had for their lives and just their obedience to walk and step out in faith even when it was unknown. They knew you would do it, but how, Lord, is so often the way. We know you're going to do it, but the how and the journey is hard, hard to trust, and it brings doubts and fears for us. Lord, I pray for anybody here that is that is ravaged with doubt and with fear, Lord, that, that I pray for boldness in their hearts, Lord, that they would turn to you that they would not run away, that they would doubt their doubts. And Lord, that through um, letting you lead, 
through turning to your word, through turning to you, through um, seeking the scriptures, through asking others, through being open about our doubts, Lord, that, that we would wrestle with them and it would deepen our faith, that would embolden us to know, Lord, that, that you are at work through those doubts, that we don't need to be ashamed, we don't need to be fearful of them, but you use them, Lord, to, as, um, you, you use them, Lord, to, to help strengthen us, to deepen our relationship with you. And in this moment of quiet now, Lord, I pray that you would put on our hearts, uh, we, would remember, we would remember how you've been at work. We remember how we've seen some memorial, uh, th- memorial stones in our life, Lord, of you being at work, that we can look back on and say, Lord, you have, you have truly brought us here. I pray all this in your son's holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Just take a moment now to reflect on that. Maybe Nathan just put some, if he can, some quiet background music on.